a reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the letter of James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, 
and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Indeed, what can anyone give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, would you come and be with us? We are dead without your Spirit. So we ask your Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us. Give us insight and understanding into your word. Father, if there are things that I say this morning that are not from you, I ask that they would be forgotten. But if what I say is from you, I pray that you would sink those things deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation when someone was trying really hard to tell you something, but you just didn't get it? For me, it was Susan Jacobs. I had had a number of classes with Susan, but I didn't really get to know her until my senior year of high school when I joined the choir. Susan had always struck me as a nice girl, so I didn't really think too much of it when she would go out of her way to say hi to me. I just thought she was a nice girl who liked to smile a lot. That year, our choir went on a trip to New York City. And as part of that trip, we went to a dinner theater called Medieval Times. There's a number of them around the country. It's a great setup. You eat this medieval meal with no utensils. And then afterwards, there are knights with armor who joust on horseback. It's fantastic. So we're at Medieval Times. And as the show is about to start, Susan leaves her group of friends to sit by me. And I'm thinking, OK, no big deal. 
But then the lights went down, and all of a sudden, her hands are on top of mine. After a few uncomfortable seconds, I shifted this pile of hands onto her lap and gently extracted mine. But as soon as I did that, there they were again. This kept going on, and I'm thinking, what is this girl's deal? I just want to watch the show. It wasn't for a number of weeks later that I finally realized, oh, she likes me. It's fascinating how much effort it took on Susan's part to communicate that message to me. <laughs> Susan isn't her real name, by the way. She's married now, and we shared a few laughs at our reunion. But there are times in each of our lives when it's hard for us to hear a message, either because it's not what we want to hear or it's not what we're expecting to hear. In today's passage, Jesus has a very difficult time communicating a message to his disciples, both past and present. This is the message he is trying so hard to communicate. If you are going to follow me, you must choose the way of the cross. It's non-negotiable. The way of the cross is a term that means choosing to suffer for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. This kind of suffering is distinct from suffering just because we make stupid decisions and have to face the consequences. It's also distinct from suffering that all the world encounters simply because we live in a fallen world that's full of suffering and it's bound to bounce off of us. It is suffering precisely because we put Jesus ahead of everything else. Let's look at how this plays out in the passage today. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and he knows that his time with them is limited. So he wants to make sure that they understand some key things about him. He doesn't seem too concerned that the crowds don't quite get who he is. But he wants to make sure that his disciples get it. And Peter does get it, but he doesn't get it. He hits the nail on the head when he says... You're the Messiah. He gets it. But then, as Jesus goes on to tell his disciples how he, the Son of Man, must suffer and be killed, all of a sudden, Jesus is calling his star pupil the devil. What would cause Jesus to say that unless Peter's counsel sounded just like Satan's counsel? I wonder if Peter said something like this. Let's tone it down a little. We'll set you up in a nice estate. You can hold court and teach the crowds to your heart's content. What Peter didn't realize is that he was asking Jesus to turn his back on his father's desires. The only way Jesus had to accomplish his mission was the way of the cross. Jesus goes on to say that not only is the way of the cross the only way for him, it is the only way for his disciples. 
None of this is easy to swallow. It doesn't make sense that the Messiah must suffer. And it makes even less sense that followers of the Savior of the world must suffer. We want our God and ourselves to be successful. And suffering clashes with our definition of success. In our equation for success, suffering is not an element of that. In fact, I believe when it comes to suffering, most Christians act more like Buddhists than they do Christians. They look like more like they're following Buddha than they're following Jesus. In the sense that they try to run away from suffering, to pretend that it doesn't exist, to try and get it out of their lives as fast as possible. At the core of all the world's great religions is a problem. For Buddhism, the problem is sin. And the goal of Buddhism is to get, I'm sorry, is suffering. And the goal of Buddhism is to eliminate suffering from your life. For Christianity, the problem is sin. Sin divides us from God, and the goal is to eliminate sin so that we can be in God's presence. Those two things may sound similar, but they're quite distinct. Here's what we must understand about the way of the cross. The way of the cross is not whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It is not some hollow philosophy to make you feel better about suffering. It is a supernatural reality. It is what C.S. Lewis refers to as deep magic in the Chronicles of Narnia. There is always a surprise supernatural ending with the way of the cross. When Jesus took the way of the cross and died, it appeared that it was simply one more criminal dying. One more PR headache for powerful leaders taken care of. But something changed that day. All of a sudden, the universe was different, and that barrier of sin was gone for all who believed in him. It did not make sense, but it was powerful, and it was true. Jesus' suffering on the cross is what produced his glory. And throughout the New Testament, there is this connection between suffering and glory. In Romans 8, 17, the Bible tells us, We are children of God and heirs with Christ if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. When we choose the way of the cross, it begins with agony and ends with glory. It is God's way for changing the world. If you choose the way of the cross, he will use you to change the world. I can't say that I fully understand how this connection between suffering and glory operates or why it is that way. But I do know that Jesus has been there and he knows better than I do. There are some times in our lives when we simply need to trust people who have been to places that we have not. A number of decades ago, one of my uncles in Colorado graduated from high school. And when he graduated, he went north to work in the oil fields of Wyoming. And one of the jobs they have folks do in those fields is climb these tall towers to make sure that all the 
equipment and machinery is working the right way. And when they train new employees, they give them very specific instructions. They tell them, when you get to the top of that tower, whatever else you do, don't look up. Don't look up. We would expect them to say, don't look down. That makes sense with what we think we know. But if you have been to Wyoming, you know that the wind is ferocious. And if you were to look up and see the clouds swirling above you, you may become disoriented and think that the tower is falling. And some people, in an effort to save themselves, have jumped off those towers. There are times we need to trust the professionals. Times we need to trust those people who have been there before we have. Jesus says not only the way of the cross is non-negotiable, in verses 35 and 36, he says very clearly, it is the only path to life. If you choose the way of the cross, those around you may not encourage you to see it through. But hear the good news. You do not walk that path alone. And there is glory on the other side. Are you willing to walk down that path with him? Are you willing to be that committed to him? If you're not, then you can turn back now because this is not an optional path. But if you are, then tell him so. Gird up your loins and get ready to change the world.